Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, financial statements, and this is where I teach, this is the week when I teach accounting, and every time I go into this week, I think, do I want to teach accounting or do I just want to kill myself? And uh, I always, you know, figure I'll get past the accounting and we'll go on to better things, but um, it, it's a necessary, and I assume that you already have had uh, accounting, basic accounting, so I won't insult your intelligence. However, I will go through it in what we need you to know about finance. But first, a look at the numbers, and that means that we are going to have to answer some important questions. Madam, is this a bull day or a bear day? A bear day. A bear day. Okay, you've got to be emphatic. A, a bear. bear <laughs> By heaven. Okay, and you notice that it is it's it's kind of getting close to a slaughterhouse on this one. Look at that. See how I described that pattern? The Dow, the big, huge lumbering companies of the earth, 30, they're down four-tenths of a percent. And then the S&P 500, very large companies, but they also have a higher risk profile in a portfolio. So they're down almost a full percent. And then the NASDAQ is... Uh, getting creamed at 1.61% down, the highest risk companies. So uh, you can see how risk actually does, and uh, it, actually the scale of the companies, does translate into how sensitive they are to the news of the day. And the news of the day, I mean, what, what's kind of odd to me was that the news wasn't anything horrible today at all. But the traders I was talking to over the weekend said, we're going to have a down day. It's going to be bad. And they were looking at one of these particular charts that shows the things that are about to happen. And yeah, it was saying that we're going to be in kind of a bad week here, or at least a few bad days. And you know, I'm not all that big on these charts and what they can tell me, but this one's historically been pretty good. And yeah, it was telling us we were going to have a bad day, even though the news wasn't that bad at all. It was just that somehow the market was building up for one of its psychotic breaks, and here we are uh, looking at really bad uh, day. So now that means that investors are selling their equity stakes, shedding equities, so that frees up funds. And then the question is, well, where are the funds going to? Well, hey, look at this, though. Crude oil is coming down into the below the band that I had talked about. I was saying 79, maybe 78 and up, and now it's punching down toward the lower, uh, down into the, uh, toward 78. And you can see that there was a hard down, and then there was a rally, but it wants to go down. And part of that is just because the, uh, amount of oil, hydrocarbons, in the, in the pipelines, up out of the ground, in the reserve tanks, in the pipes, onto the ships, the uh, dirty, uh, very large, and the intermediates, 
and then the refineries are just chock full. So, yeah, there's a lot of oil, and this will cause gasoline prices within a week or so to start going down once these other the distillates uh, have been produced for the supply in the country. So oil's down, but over here, gold is just dropping like a rock, and over here, silver tried to go up, but it's it's dying down again. Over here, bonds. Yields on bonds are uh, green, so that means the prices are red. So that means that sellers are getting rid of their bonds. Well, that's interesting because they're getting rid of equities, they're getting rid of the metals uh, uh, and, the, and the bonds. So where's that money, where are those funds going if they're going out of all of the different investment possibilities? That would tell me that they're going to cash. They're pulling out and they're putting their uh, funds into just straight cash and standing back waiting to see what happens next. That's a, that's a usual defensive move. If you don't see anything good in stocks or in bonds or in the metals, well, you pull out and you just sit there in money market accounts and just wait to see what happens. Uh, next, and then looking for a direction. In other words, if you're in a total fog, you don't keep walking. You just stop and you wait until the uh, mist clears and you see a path or a light somewhere. And that's not happening today, not at all. Oddly though, if we look over here, Tokyo was uh, really volatile today. Uh, well, that was last night. As you can see, it was started up, then bounced down, then came back up, then down, and then there was a rally near the end. The bulls grabbed some uh, stocks at the end, but it was very, it was a really volatile day over there. And then when the sun set there, it started to rise across Europe and then into London. And you saw, see, London started in a bad mood, but through the day, it groveled up. That is not spectacular. Remember I said, 0.33%, that's kind of like, that's yeah, a flat day. So London didn't do anything spectacular, but at least it came out ahead. But boy, when we came over here to this side of the Pacific, or of the Atlantic, good grief. It's just not been a good day at all for the equities markets, or for the bonds, or for gold for that matter. And even if you wanted to take your, try your hand at oil futures, it wasn't a good day for them either. So in other words, this is not a place where you would probably want to go long. Now, when I say go long, that means that you are in a, you have bought. I'm going long Tesla, or I'm going long Netflix. That means that you're buying in. If you, so if I say you're going long, that means that there are, you're, uh, the, if the market is going long and investors are going long, that's this, what I'm talking about right here happening. So you want to keep that in mind. I want to check something here. You want to keep that in mind as you are um, hearing what I say over the course of this semester. I'll get more and more into the language of investments, of finance as the course goes along and get you used to hearing that terminology and beginning to use it yourself because it makes you sound more professional, it makes you sound more sophisticated. Uh, but sometimes the, 
professionalism requires, as you say, a very bad word if you're getting cream for the day. Fortunately, I, I, those, those uh, traders, they convinced me to get out. So I stepped off the sideline right before the rocks fell away in front of me this morning. Okay, now, just quickly, looking at a couple of stocks, just to make sure that we're on, still on the same page with stocks as we were uh, before. And I, I'm trying to think, what would be a stock to see today? Anyone got a suggestion? What? WMT. Okay, WMT, that's three letters. So what, would, what, what exchange would Walmart be on? That's exactly right. Three, two, one. Yeah, so Walmart's a ginormous company of the earth. Interestingly, I, I'm pretty sure Walmart is also in the S&P 500, that index of 500 stocks. So it's that big. Uh, I wonder if it's in the Dow 30. They, they've shifted that so much over the years. I have a hard time with that. Walmart. Okay, I'll stop it. So it closed yesterday at 143.30. By the time of the opening bell this morning, it opened down uh, uh, more than a buck. That was more sell orders coming in in the over, overnight market and the pre-market and then buys. And so when the bell rang this morning, it was, it was lower than it had been at the close last night. And as you can see... The bid-ask spread is four cents on it. So if I want to buy Walmart, I'll pay $141.48 a share. If I want to sell Walmart, I will pay $141.44 a share. I typically, on the first exam, I show you a screen and I say, what would it cost you if you, what would happen if you went long one round lot of Walmart? That is the same as saying, you bought 100 shares. If you go long one round lot, that means that you are buying 100 shares. If you go long one round lot, that means you are buying 100 shares. Now, on the other hand, you could sell your stock in Walmart and you would get $141.44 a share. So in other words, as soon as you buy Walmart stock, you're in the hole four cents a share. And with the way it looks now, it's pretty grim out there. And that, that see that difference in the two sizes there? That would indicate that the open book has 1,100 <coughs> on the buy side and 900 on the sell side. That's a fairly ba a balance. Now, notice, actually, the day's trading range has been pretty narrow on it. It's gone from 141.27. That would be that trough right there. Its high was early today at 142.39. But it's still not a wild trading range. And then over the past 52 weeks, Walmart has been as low, and I'll show you the year chart, has, geez, Zoe, that with a cliff. What the hell happened there? I don't remember that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, they, it wasn't too spectacular. But uh, so it's been as low as 117, and it has been as high 
as 160. Now, notice that it's not, it's kind of in the middle of its trading range over the past 52 weeks, maybe a little more toward the high side. What worries me about this is that, well, I don't know what to say here. It's a little bit, you see these declining tops? Do you see how its two tops are dropping? That's a bad sign. It's, it's weakening. It can't get as high as it had before. Now over here, you're seeing an opposite story. Do you see how the bottoms are actually rising? That's, that's actually kind of a good sign. So a lot of the elves, elves, the technical chart people, would say that we're going to come to a place where the declining tops and the rising bottoms cross. That's, uh, that's known as a cross. And what you want, that's a critical place. If it breaks to the upside of that cross, that's a sign that it's going to keep going up. If it fails to break to the upside of the cross, that's a bad sign and it's going to just keep, uh, drop down. Hard to say here. Now, just for a little bit of, yeah, the average volume, we're about halfway through the day now. No, we're a little more than halfway through the day, and the volume is kind of weak at the halfway point compared to the over 52-week. So in other words, that's investors getting off the, onto the sidelines. They're, you know, just, we're not going to trade a whole lot today. But as far as the, um, notice that Walmart has a market cap of $181.62 billion. So the beta. Back to you, madam. Is this a safe stock or a risky stock? Safe. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's only about half of the volatility of the market. So in other words, if you're thinking you're going to make a fortune with Walmart in a portfolio, probably not. It's a safe stock. I mean, Walmart isn't going to go away because there are always going to be Walmart people. Okay? Full disclosure, I'm a Walmart hoe. Okay? I go there every day just to be offended by everyone else who's offended by me there. Okay, so it's not going to go anywhere. It's always going to be around. So Walmart's not a risky company at all. Uh, but as you can see, the P.E. ratio. What is the P.E. ratio? Does it agree with the, sir, does it agree with the beta or does it disagree with the beta? Look at the P.E. ratio. Disagrees. That's right. Remember I said 30 is a cutoff between a risky and a not risky P.E. ratio. I'm seeing the beta, very safe, but I'm seeing the P.E. ratio, price divided by earnings. That tells me that it's overpriced right now. Walmart is, the price in price divided by earnings is higher than it should be. So I would say that this is an overvalued stock at this point. That would tell me I don't want to buy this. I do not want to go long Walmart until it sheds some of that price. And that's telling me that we're probably not going to see some boom in the price of Walmart over the next, uh, oh, for the foreseeable future, over an investing horizon of a couple of of at least a couple of months, maybe even out to a year. It's just not going to go up that much. One of the arguments for this is, look, how much more can Walmart grow? 
Walmart is not a hot company. It's a stable, state, safe company. Its customer base is not going to vastly expand. And so, as, as, and it's already about everywhere that it could be. So growth in uh, stores is not going to be in its future. So we're seeing a company that is in its mature phase. It'll probably be around for us in the next century, but it's not just not going to be spectacular in that century. So that tells us, yeah, the bait is going to be low, and right now it is overbought. And so it's going to shed some price over the next, maybe even a couple of years. This is how we think as investors. This is what I want you to come out of this class with. Of all the things, this is hugely important because this helps you be an investor who can think for yourself. They do pay a dividend. No, uh, well, first of all, this is a profitable company. See that positive PE rate, uh, I'm sorry, uh, EPS, earnings per share? We're gonna talk about this today and on Wednesday anyway. The earnings per share, the total net income divided by the total number of shares outstanding. Walmart earns three dollars and a quarter for each share. That is a that's darn fine. That's great, and they pay a dividend. It's an old company. They pay of the three dollars and twenty-five cents every share they make for every share. They give that two dollars and twenty-four cents of that back to the shareholder. So, in other words, this company isn't plowing lots of its earnings into operations to grow. It doesn't have to. It's grown as much as it possibly can. Well, I shouldn't say that, but that, so in other words, we see that this is all, has all the hallmarks of an old, stable company. Uh, low beta earnings are darn good per share EPS, and it pays a lot of its earnings back to the shareholders. It says here, shareholders, we don't have anything we can do with this money that belongs to you, so we're going to give it back to you as a dividend. So in that regard, if you're looking for a dividend stock, you don't care about whether it goes up or down in price, you just want that dividend, this is darn fine for your portfolio. Now, Yeehaw, Yahoo Desire thinks that this stock's going to rise about $20 over the next year. I'm suspicious of that. I'm going to show you this now. You don't have to know it until later. I'm going to pull up a stupid calculator to do it. I'm going to show you. Look, take $161.56. Let's say that you bought it today. So you take the, and you're going to sell it in exactly one year. Let's say that Yahoo is right. In one year, at the end of your holding period, you have, it sells for 161.56. You divide that by the um, price at which you bought it today, 141.74. Now this would be a one year holding period. So, and then you're going to subtract one, which you always have to do to get and so Yahoo is saying on the capital gain alone, if you held this for one year, make that a percentage, you'd make 13.98%. And that would be an annual return because we did it for a one-year holding period. So, I mean, that's hella good. I don't think that's going to happen, but let me show you this. Well, in addition to that, you're going to get a dividend which would be 1.56% of what you paid for today. So you'd add that 
5, 6%. So your total holding period return for one year, Yahoo Finance is saying it's going to be 15.54%. And I don't buy that for a minute. A beta that low, uh, I'm a, uh, maybe. But that's, uh, and I'll show you this formally again in a few weeks. It's like I've told you. I sneak things in, tell you things, and I do it a couple of times before I expect you to know it. But that's how you cal calculate a total holding period return. You take the end value divided by the beginning value minus one. And then you add, if there's a dividend, you add the dividend yield, which is the, total, the actual dividend divided by what you paid for the stock. Here, I mean... I, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a little taken aback that they think it's going to punch to 161. Well, they're saying it's not even going to make its all-time high, but we'll see. One more, just to finish this up and see what else is out there. Think about something else. Anyone got another one? Volvo. What? Volvo. Volvo? They have a... Okay, no. Volvo can't. Well, okay. Here's a new term, and I want to bring it up. I'll talk about it more later. Foreign companies can trade on the New York Stock Exchange, but you're not actually buying the stock of the company. You're buying something called an ADR, an American Depository Receipt. It's like a mirror image of the actual Japanese stock but it isn't that stock. Volvo, I'm looking here. Uh, I don't think that's an ADR. Oh, that's Stockholm. Yeah, they're not trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And the rules for actually buying the foreign stock itself, you probably don't want to do that. But try this one. Try an American company, Ford. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a mistake. Well, I'll be darned. Ford is profitable and all that. Okay, Ford. Tell me this. Is that a risky or a not risky stock? Risky. Yeah, that's, that, that goes into the AF. Risky AF. You're up there in the nosebleed. But look at the P.E. ratio on that damn thing. Do you see that that is an undervalued stock? I mean, the price could push up a lot, and you still wouldn't be to a 30 on that. So it's a high-risk stock. Beta's saying, you're on your own, Cupcake, if you do this. But at the same time, there is strong upside potential. Uh, the P.E. ratio is just yelling undervalued on this one. And so, I don't know. He pays your penny, and he takes your pick on this one. This got a tight bid-to-ask ratio. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Do you see how we're not through with the day yet, and it's already getting close to its 52-week daily average volume. So this is trading strongly today. <coughs> and notice the bid-ask ratio. Uh, the bid-ask spread is tight on this one. There's a lot of it trading, so we don't have to spread the bid and ask to make a few uh, pennies off uh, each trade. Uh, look at this. It's near its 52-week its low. You see that? It, P.E. ratio is saying it's underpriced, and 
it's high risk, which generally high expected return. We're going to learn a lot about that in this class. If you want a higher expected return, you have to take more risk. So there's that. And the daggone thing pays a dividend, no less. And it's a four and a half percent. So in other words, 60 cents is four and a half percent of $12.94. So in other words, if all else fails, your $12.95 will get you a 4.52% dividend yield. So if you took the capital gain, and I'll do this one more time just so you can see, just so you can kind of get, start getting used to it. Okay, this is a one year holding period return of $14.02. You would sell it at in one year divided by what you're paying for it, $12.94 now. Equals minus one. So in other words, Yahoo Finance is saying you're going to earn an 8.35% 8, 8 return on it. And then you add that dividend to it, which is your dividend yield plus your capital gain yield, 4.52%. So Yahoo Finance is saying your total one-year holding period return would be about 12.87%. I'm almost of a mind that you're, I mean, you're taking a terrible risk here. With a bait of 1.5, that's really risky. And, but at the same time, it's undervalued. There's no question this is undervalued. And you're going to get a dividend. Uh, it, probably you'll get a dividend. Even when Ford was losing money, it was still paying its dividend to its shareholders. And you think, well, how could they do that? Well, they were just taking it out of retained earnings. They wanted to keep their shareholders happy. So even if the stock price was going to hell, they kept paying that dividend to keep the shareholders happy. So you can be pretty well assured that that dividend is still going to be there. So even if the stock doesn't rise very much, at least you got your dividend. So if you're a risk-taking investor, that is, this is probably a stock that you ought to consider. But at the same time, make sure that you are aware of what your risk really is. I'm going to talk, tell you, talk to you a little bit here. Part of this is a, is a setup for what's coming later. Uh, but it's important because the textbook in Chapter 3 starts out by talking about the annual report of a company. In our world, really, we don't give a rat's ass about the annual report. Here's the thing. Every public company has to report to the SEC, and they report on standardized forms. Now, many, many years ago, back in ancient times, back when I was fairly young, the reports were the same as they are now but we did them on paper. And it was like for a corporation, any corporation, it was like every quarter you had to file this one report. And then every year you had to consolidate those and file an annual report. And that wasn't the annual report they're talking about in your textbook. It was a technical form called the Form 10-K. So every quarter, 
companies filed a 10-Q. And then at the end of every uh, fiscal year, they filed the form 10-K. This all starts when a company goes public. If a company is private, it doesn't have to tell the uh, SEC anything. Well, most of the time. But as soon as you go public, you are in the program forever, unless you go private again. And that's, uh, that was one of the places where I began to make my, my good money. These little companies wanted to go public. And so they f did their IPO or they reverse merged into a dead public company. And then they realized, oh my God, we've got to file these reports. And there are other ones too. There's another one that's the Form 8K. I had the CEO of one company say, well, what happens if we don't file those? Uh, back at that time, you just kept getting fined and you might even be charged in criminally for not filing them. So they would hire me to do it. And it was even for little tiny companies, it's the same thing. All the same, you have to meet all the requirements and all that. And then there are other forms that you have to file. Like if you give stock options to your executives, you have to file a form. If you're a company that tries to start starts acquiring another company at some trigger level of percentage ownership, you have to file papers for that. And they're all on these standardized forms. And here's two laws. Write these down for God's sake. The Securities Act of 1933. And then there was one passed the next year called the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. And this is another subject that I'll get into more later. But back before those kinds of years, the investment, banking, finance world was a wild west. Free markets are the best markets. The best government is no government. Government should be so small that you, should drown it, you can drown it in a bathtub. Government interference just hurts businesses, and that ultimately means that people are hurt because people depend on businesses for their jobs. That was the philosophy from the beginning of our country, well, from the beginning of time, until the, the end of the 1920s. And it had finally gotten to the point with the freewheeling scams, lies, frauds, and everything you can imagine, that was going on in the 1920s. The stock market finally buckled in 1929, Black Monday, a black swan like no other. And that was the uh, forefront, the shock front of a recession that was coming. And we had had a 
we had had three consecutive conservative, free market, right-wing, we would call them right-wing today, uh, presidents and their congresses. And by the time we got to the next presidential election in 1932, people had just had enough of it. They kicked all of the rascals out of Congress. They kicked out the party that had been in power for so long, and they brought in reformers. And I mean, these were hardcore reformers. I'm not talking about the kind you've seen in your lifetimes. These people were really hardcore. The president who came in in 1932, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said, the rich despised me and I welcomed their hatred. And boy, they cracked down. It wasn't just securities law. It was banking, it was labor law, it was all kinds of things. So these were the reform of securities industry. Securities Act of 1933 dealt with the primary market. In other words, IPOs and seasoned offerings. It was the primary market. No more funny business. You're going to obey laws. And if you don't obey them, we will beat your ass. Okay? And that also established the Securities Exchange Commission, a body that would oversee the enforcement, the monitoring and the enforcement of securities law. Now, the next year, they passed the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, which oversaw the secondary markets. That's buying and selling like what we see here. And again, you will no longer lie, cheat, and steal to get money from gullible investors. You will not even do what could be considered shady. There were banking laws passed at the same time that forced a wall between securities and banking, securities trading and banking. We call it a Chinese wall because it's so big and long. That law went away in 1999. And <clears throat> never mind. But anyway, now these laws actually were in their enforcement. They led to these forms. You are going to do standardized forms. You are going to report this, 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 and this. And if you lie, you will be fined. And so that became the law of the land that shaped these forms right here. This is a little background for you. Now, whenever you hear about, well, we got to cut down on the government and all that kind of stuff, I mean, we can take care of ourselves, bullshit. That was the way it was before these laws, and we want, there are certain forces that would love to have us go back to the 1920s. And by the way, that was the time when the rich did get richer and the poor got poorer, and we went in because of it. We ended up in the Great Recession, which was one hell of a bad deal for about everyone. Hell, even the rich, <laughs> some of the rich were kicked in the teeth in that one. But here's another interesting thing, though. <coughs> the laws have been, uh, the securities laws have been enforced kind of haphazardly. 
There's sometimes when they crack down in certain presidential administrations and in certain eras, and then there are others when they're a lot looser. I've actually gone through both eras. When I was active, preparing forms, uh, helping with compliance, companies stay in compliance with the SEC, they were kind of in the middle at that time. They were pretty hardcore, but I would call them and play a, I'm just a dumb consultant. Can you help me understand this form? And they say, well, we're not allowed to give that kind of information. However, and then I'd get some help. Uh, after me came a loose era, and that's still around to this day. It's, they'll kick the ass of the small time players, but they'll let the big time players just jaw-dropping what they let the big-time players do. Once in a while, they'll pick a big fish out of the sea and kick it in the ass. But for the most part, it's going back to the Wild West now. And it had been. Even, even in the Obama administration, it was becoming really loose, the enforcement was. And then uh, President Trump, it got a lot looser. I mean, it was ridiculous at that point. And the current president, uh, Mr. Biden, has really not crack down. Here's a touchstone though. It had gotten really, really loose during the Clinton administration in the 1990s. There was a, it, it's, the policies were what are called neoliberal. You have a very, you have a liberal, progressive social policy, but you side with business on that, uh, in those kinds of matters. And that was what was going on. And boy, the stock market just boomed during that period. But unfortunately, the lack of enforcement of all of this led to some pretty spectacular disasters where companies were just outright lying on these forms. The, the worst case, are any of you or have you been taught about a company called Enron? Oh, yeah. Enron was spectacular. I mean, in my business, we just sat back when we saw what they had done. You've got to be kidding me. They were literally selling stock and other types of securities, and the executives were just taking the money and putting it in their own offshore accounts. It was that bad. Of course, the company buckled, and the company had been putting their employees' uh, retirement pension payments into the stock of Enron. So when Enron collapsed, the stock went to zero, and all these people who had been working there 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they were out. They just didn't have anything. And I knew a lot about that because that was when I was working in oil and gas in Texas. Enron is an, oil, is an energy company. As a result of that, as a result of that, the uh, Congress passed a reform. All this is in place, all these forms, but it cracked down, it was called Sarbanes-Oxley, SOX. And the Sarbanes-Oxley put more regulatory control over public companies. It placed more regulatory control over public companies. That's the thing you need to know for now. And I'll get into a little more detail on it uh, later in the course. Interestingly, I just brought it up in my international finance course because SOX has fingers everywhere. 
it, you don't need to write this down right now. We'll get back to it. The book gets back to it too. But it required a comprehensive single source database for the whole company, no matter where it was, its operations were. It also required that the company have in place uh, algorithms that would detect suspicious transactions activity. But the, for our purposes right now, it required that the officers and directors and the outside auditors, I think even the lawyers, sign these forms personally so that if there was a lie, not only would the company be held liable and fined under civil and criminal law, but the officers and directors could be fined and imprisoned as well. That focused about everyone's attention. I mean, if you're signing something, it's great if, yeah, yeah, I'll sign it. But if you signing it means that you are on the hook for the truth of the document, and it's the federal government that will come after you, the SEC will come after you for civil fines, and if it's severe enough, the Department of Justice will come after you for criminal uh, sanctions. Yeah, that got everyone's attention. And the uh, documents that we see now, these forms, and I'm about to show you some of these forms, these forms, you can be awfully sure that they're, they're truthful. And I'll talk about that. Interestingly enough, companies still try, once in a while you have a company that tries to lie and they get caught. A good example of that was when he of the cloven hoof, uh, Mr. Baked Ham uh, himself, his uh, company lied on its form, on a form 10K, and they were fined an ungodly amount of money. So what does that guy do? He goes on Twitter and cusses out the SEC. <clears throat> yeah. If I did that, I, you know, I might as well just give up my life. I'm going to be in prison forever. But yeah, for the most part, you can be assured that these are okay. These, these are good, strong forms. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to show you one of the reasons that the United States really is the beacon of, uh, of investments of all the world. Com uh, countries, uh, their manufacturers will make cheap, sell us cheap stuff just so they can get dollars because the dollars have to be invested back here, which is the best investment place in the world. Why is that? Well, the first thing is that we have a, the rule of law. We, every, everything is subject to the law. There's no person that is above the law. And so we know, everyone knows, contracts that are formed here are good. They are trustworthy because the court system will ensure that the rule of law is applied. Another important aspect of that, and this is something that I'm doing, dealing with in several second and third world countries I'm working with, transparency. Investors need to have everything that is available, and they don't need anything that is hidden or just we don't do that here it's all there for anyone to see. That's transparency. And uh, like I said, I have a few countries where I'm working and I'm saying, okay, we've got to get all these documents together. And I said, well, 
what's this about the information about the owners of the, the officers and directors? We, we don't do that here. Well, you will if you want the money of the world because you have to get to that point where everything is available. Let me show you this site. And I'll put this up as a link to you as well. And you probably, you should have been shown in Business 100, but I have found out that that's not the case for some of you. So this is sec.gov. Now you go here to Edgar. Here's what happened. When I was first doing consulting, this was all on paper, these forms. This was in the 1980s. And then the SEC started to pilot a program where you could file electronically. It was kind of a cumbersome thing because a form, you had to put these tags on the beginning and the end of every part of the form. It was what was called SGML, Standard Generalized Markup Language. Later, that would be simplified to what is called HTML, Hypertext Markup Language, which is what websites today are. But the SEC started with this SGML, and it was a pilot program. And I was actually in that pilot program because I was a geek at the time, and I was already interacting with the SEC. And so they put me in the program to start filings by public companies on this Edgar system. And then it became all companies had to do it. And then later, they kicked me out of the system because they said only lawyers and accountants are intelligent enough to do this. Well, they can bite me. But now, all of these forms are available. Let's take a company. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, um, um, Walmart. Now, see this? These are the K's and Q's. They filed, they're, they're coming up for their next annual filing. Think of these as like the interim filings, and this is the amended last filing of the fiscal year. And then here's that 8K. Now, the 10K's are just this pile of information about the company. And then the financial statements are in there. The Q's are the same way for the quarters. The 8K is a different thing. This is, the 8Ks are filed for non-recurring events. If something happens that's not in the normal hustle and flow of a company's life, it has to be filed here. So in other words, if you, sir, were, ab you're the CFO of Megacorp International. You are abducted by aliens. I have to file an 8K. He was abducted by aliens so that everyone in the world knows you were abducted by aliens. Now, you actually, it turns out that you, you were taken in with some cows and you all rebelled and you took control of the ship and you returned it to the earth as heroes and so I have to file another AK. He was returned, okay? If you, <laughs> being more realistic, if you die, and you're the president of those board of directors, I have to file. If you resign because of certain inappropriate activities and you were the chief operating officer, bad man, bad. I have to file an 8K. See, it's for things that are not normal. The funny thing was that in my time, 
Well, you have to file if you do a press release. That's not normal. You have to, and I'd have these little companies, they would be pumping out these hype, hyped up releases. We're on the verge of a breakthrough disruptive technology. And then I'd say, you gotta file an 8K. Why? Because it's a non-recurring event. Well, we do this every week, but you're not supposed to, fool. And so I made $50 every time. It was just a push of a button or two in the Edgar system. It was awesome making money that way because they couldn't help themselves. They just kept putting out press releases. So the 8K is something that we kind of keep an eye on to see this thing happen when it shows up because it might be something stupid. Uh, but it might be something that's kind of significant. Like, for example, if you have out of nowhere the CEO resigns or the, an AK would be filed when the, a new CEO is appointed. Well, we, those can have impact on the stock price. That's what we call fundamental analysis. So the AKs are something to keep an eye on for a company. And I mean, these AKs can be dry as hell, but we, we want to see them. And financial statement and exhibits. Uh, this isn't not much there. Okay, now I'm going to take you over to the 8K. I usually use a K because it's a whole year. This is what we used to file in triplicate on paper. That. And we used to teach the accounting people and the finance people how to do these because every company that's public has to do this. Can you imagine this paper? Going to the SEC, it was literally hundreds of millions of pages. The, the Edgar system turned it all in. There's no paper version of this. It's just electronic filing. And they've made it, from what I hear, <coughs> from what I hear, it's actually almost a joke. It's like a fill-in-the-blanks kind of form thing now. I will show you one thing real quick here. Um, go down here. If you're doing research on a company, this is original source. If, you, if you're going to someplace like Yahoo or Moody's or any of these services that tell you stuff about companies, they probably got it from this. This is the original source right here uh, of, for almost anything that you would want to see. Financial statements. This is the original source. So if you're cite, doing a citation, know how to cite these because there is no dispute if you said, this is where I got it, that is the equivalent of God's word. But I'll show you an interesting thing here. Look at item seven. Item seven, like I said, the company has to be honest. The peak of its honesty comes in item seven the management's discussion and analysis, where they actually tell their story. And they can be glib. In other words, it can be very honest. Well, we did this pretty well. We didn't do that at all. Here's what our competition is doing. Here's where our lawsuits are. Here's the ones we think are important. Here's the ones we don't think are important. I mean, they break down their own company in the MDNA, as we call it. So if you're looking for a place to quote for a paper that you're writing for one of your classes, oh hell, you could just go in here and cite to here and quote, this is what they said about their own company. And that's a hell of a good thing 
it makes it easy for you, and if you know how to access this, and I'll put a link to this to right to Edgar. Any public company, it's right here. And they're honest, glib, uh, no holds barred explanation of what happened and why it happened and what they see going forward. That, decent stuff. However, I'm not going to keep you here. I'm going to show you something else. Really? You see this little button right here? You click on it, and you go to this blue button. You've got all their financial statements right here. Operations, that's your income. And the companies call them different things. This is the income statement. And this is the balance sheet. And all the statement of shareholders' equity, statement of cash flows, they're all there, right there. Ah, but wait, there's more. And I don't know how many of you have already been taught this, but every company that's public must provide all of its financials in Excel form. Wait for it. Well, look at this. But I will caution you, look at all that is actually filed. You have so many tabs, it's just ridiculous. But anything from the income statement to executive compensation to where their leases are and how much each of them is costing every month, everything is provided there. So when, I, when you pull out Excel, and I'll ask you to bring your notebook so that we can do a little stupid pet tricks in Excel, let's take, uh, uh, what I'll do is I'll show you here. I usually scoot the balance sheet and the income statement and the statement of cash flows together, just slide the uh, worksheets around. And what you've got is everything you would need to do any kind of financial analysis or reports, charts, whatever. It's all right there for you. And every company has to provide that to anyone who wants it. That's why I was bitching about transparency. This is why we are such an investment haven. We can find out whatever we want about any public company we're considering investing in. I'll let you go. That's all I have for you today, I think.